Imagine this. It's 9 p.m. Sunday night and your child announces they have a major project due the next day. Or how about this scenario? Your child did the homework but never turned it in. Or what about this? You pick them up from school and they announce that they had a test today that they didn't know about. Or maybe your child just hates writing. Or they lost their backpack. The entire backpack just disappeared. How many of you have been there? Let's discuss executive functioning today on episode five of Learn Smarter, the educational therapy podcast. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode five of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Kapp. We are excited to have you here today to talk about executive function, or as we like to call it, EF. We talk about executive functioning so frequently because it affects everything that a child does all day long. And really, it affects what we do as adults all day long. So we have a few disclaimers that we want to make sure that you know about executive functioning. And the first one is don't get overwhelmed. We're going to break it down and go further into it on the podcast in our EF series. This is just one of the episodes. This episode is really just a survey or an overview of all the different elements of executive functioning that Steph and I have agreed upon that impact our ability to function in a positive way if we have good EF skills or a negative way if we're lacking in this area. Over the course of our podcast, we're going to dig deeper into all these areas and ideas, and we'll even be doing episodes on note-taking and test-taking and planning and prioritizing and executing project management. All these different skills are severely impacted by executive functioning. This list is how we primarily think of EF when we're working with our clients. And there's more we could add, but this is just a good, solid beginning list. Here we go. So executive function, what is it? Our definition, as I like to say, Mm -hmm. is the ability to plan and manage and organize and do, in quotes, your life. Rach, how do you define it? I think executive functioning is the ability to prioritize and execute projects and life. Life. It's just life. Yeah. EF is life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So one of the things that you frequently talk to me about, Steph, is that school is executive functioning, but school is really, as you like to call it, adulting. Yes, adulting. And I tell this to the high school kids especially because Mm – When they're sitting there complaining about having to memorize the periodic table of elements, I remind them that it's not really about knowing the periodic table, right? Unless you're going to go into some field that involves that, Mm -hmm. you probably really don't need to know that. Um, And you probably don't really need to know all of your math facts in a way that you use them every second of every day. So it's And that's just a controversial crucial. statement because I feel like math facts are, can be particularly triggering for parents when students don't know them automatically. Yes. But how many times do you have to multiply something by 12? I mean, not that often. It doesn't it's happen really all day, not, every day. N- no. And let's be honest. We all have our phones and we're doing it there anyway. But what we do want our students to know is how to approach 
memorizing the periodic table of elements. Exactly. And and a strategy for recalling math facts, but it do- that doesn't require an automaticity. And I've had this conversation with clients where I've, when they've been really just heels in, you just digging in about how they don't know why they have to do this and it's just a waste of time. And I've had clients sit there and say, we've gone through what they have to do in school and what the adult equivalent is. So turning in homework and studying for tests, paying bills and going to work and, you know, all of those kinds of things to just sort of put it into perspective for them. So life is all hoop jumping, right? And if you have the strategy for how you're going to approach the hoop jumping, you're going to do much better off long term as opposed to, you know, 20 years after being tested on the periodic table of elements, being able to recall what you were tested on. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it really doesn't. But what matters is how you approach the task because that is what's generalizable and repeatable throughout your life. As a therapist, we talk a lot about how it's not the content, but rather the approach to the content that is the lifelong skill. There's so much we're going to cover on this podcast in the future, including resilience and grit and why Steph and I would like our future (laughs) children to be quote unquote average students when we have kids. But we decided to talk about EF or executive functioning right now because it permeates everything and every conversation we're ever going to be having on this podcast. So let's dig in. And we have identified executive functioning as having seven major key points. Okay. So the first key point for EF is organization, planning, and prioritizing. So what is that? It's organizing your time and things and how to approach a task like we've talked about and how to decide what order you're going to do things. Right. And so let's talk about how school is impacted. So you need to know when a test is, what you need to be studying for the test, reading all parts of an assignment, all parts of the question, all parts of the question, getting assignments turned in, getting to your classes on time, managing multiple assignments simultaneously, homework, what's most important and what to start with in your homework calendar, where your materials are, and even what your backpack looks like. An example of organization and planning and prioritizing for my own life, and this is... So I will disclaim that my fiancé is a stand-up comic and talks about me on stage a lot. And before (laughs) I shared this story, I was like, Adam, is it okay if I talk about this like ongoing tension in our relationship and then after I texted it to him I, I immediately followed up by saying I don't need to ask for, ask for permission you talk about me on stage all the time and he was like sure go for it <laughs> so something early on that really annoyed me in our relationship was that Adam would let his laundry pile up for weeks he he has a lot more clothes than I do I will say so he could let it go longer but he would then talk about the fact that he had to do laundry for like a week prior to when he actually did it and because he's a comic he's he's out at shows late at night and so he would have a night off and he would be like okay tonight's the night I'm doing laundry but then he would come home and sit on the couch for an hour and a half before starting it and to me that made no sense because laundry itself takes an hour and a half so why not 
immediately throw it in the laundry and get it started. So then you can relax while it's getting going. Anyway, this was an example of how we approached a task very differently. Because for Adam, it didn't matter to him that he was staying up later to do laundry, even though it annoyed me and didn't really doesn't make any sense. Because if you planned in the relaxing <laughs> while the laundry was being done. It, you see where I'm going with this, people? Um, this is so funny. I know. This probably went on for, we've been together several years, but it's probably went on for two years. And I he's heard so, about it. Yeah, because I would text Steph and be like, he's sitting on the couch and the laundry needs to get going. And it was, look, this was clearly my <laughs> issue. He was fine with staying up late to do it, right? To me, I wanted it to get done as soon as possible. Anyway, I'm doing five minutes on the laundry. But my point is that, to me, there was a very clear order in how to do this so that it could get done quickly. Because, again, I'm very into GSD. Mm -hmm. And for him, it was something that wasn't – it didn't matter to him. And it didn't. he didn't even realize that he was, quote-unquote, wasting time. Until it was something that I was pointing out pretty consistently every three weeks as the laundry conversation came about again. Anyway, I'm proud to say we've now outsourced the laundry issue, so we don't discuss it anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> Good thing. Yeah. The second major key point of executive functioning is time. Time management and your ability to start a task. This is something that you'll hear Steph and I talk about quite a bit, which is task initiation. Getting the ball rolling can be very, very challenging for students. And that's why we started this podcast with episode 02 about how to calendar, because that is one of the main ways that you can kind of support a student who struggles with task initiation. So a lot of parents come and say, my kid is lazy and they're procrastinators. That is such a trigger for me when a parent says that, by the way. Right? It's And how often does that happen? All the time. All so, the time. Rachel and I both really agree on this. We really feel like we need to flip it. It's about task initiation, not about procrastination. They're not putting it off because they know how to do it. They're putting it off because they don't know where to start. Preach, Steph. Preach. Right? Mm -hmm. It is. So true. School is impacted by time management and task initiation because... It impacts how you start anything. And students are very often stymied by this. Homework gets impacted. An essay. Oh, the horrors of a take-home essay. This is something we're going to dig into because this is really where you see students struggle with task initiation. Oh, yeah. Writing, staying on task, not getting distracted, or your own ability to recognize that you are distracted, your ability to calendar and how you manage non-preferred tasks. Okay, so the third thing in executive functioning, or EF, is memory. And there's three different types of memory that you should know. There's short-term, working memory, and long-term. And memory is really all about repeated ex exposure to the same ideas. So that when you think back to being a kid and doing your math facts, and how many times you did those mad minute math exercises or you were looking at flashcards a lot so stressful for me as a student anything timed was very stressful for me as a student yeah no I hated it I actually I had I had a lot of anxiety about me it too. in third grade I did not me like too. it me too me too 
Short-term and long-term memory, we think, are slightly more familiar to the general population. And short-term memory is really remembering what you had for breakfast. It's not key information. It's not really anything that you have to revisit. There's no reason to store that information of what I had for breakfast this morning for two or three years from now. Long-term memory on the flip side is key information that you do want to keep stored. So just like I gave the example for short-term memory being what I had for breakfast today, long, an example of long-term memory is I remember every moment of 9-11. That's an example of long-term memory. So what is working memory? So working memory is the information your brain takes in and holds on to for a while and what it chooses to get rid of versus what you keep and use. So there's only so much space in your brain. And kids tend to use the space for things like homework and tests and what might be on it or what page they have to do for math and which problems. And then it takes up so much space, there's nothing left for actual information. That's why we preach the calendar. Right. And that's why we start there is because we want the information in our clients' brains to be the information they're getting tested on, yes. not the date of the test, not what homework is due when. This is why we preach. Put everything that can be written down. Write it down somewhere. Don't, don't store that information in your brain because, yes, it's stuck in the working memory, which is somewhere in between short and long-term memory. But I would much rather my clients remember what they're getting tested on and remembering important pieces of information that they're being graded on rather than what day the test is. And let's visit this because I know a lot of clients who say they have really great memories and they don't need to write anything down and they they can remember all of it. Mm. And the fact of the matter is they can't. And so it's really about helping them understand this helping them use the the part of their brain that's going to get them a better grade or be able more successful than remembering that they have to do 8 through 20 even. What I want to add is memory is unreliable. My memory of 9-11 is true-ish for what actually happened that day, as is yours. But the truth of the matter is when students are choosing to remember the date of the test or homework like the math homework that you were saying, do eight through 12 even. They're, what they're also choosing is what not to remember, which is the concepts that they're going to be tested on. The fourth aspect that Steph and I have identified as being important for executive functioning is motivation. The first type of motivation is intrinsic motivation, which is the mo motivation from within. You're motivated to do well because you like the way that feels. Versus extrinsic motivation, which is you're motivated by an outside force. So I have an example of this. When I was a kid, my brother and I both had to play piano, but I was intrinsically motivated. I enjoyed playing music. It was something that was valued in our family structure. And I would practice because I was intrinsically motivated. It made me feel good to accomplish that task for the day. My brother, on the other hand, hated practicing. And in order to motivate him, if he had a good piano lesson, he would get a Star Trek figure figurine toy. Um, this is a point of contention still for my brother and I, because I was doing the good and right thing and I did not get 
what I wanted at that time was the Babysitter's Club book because those were the best. Steph, did you read (laughs) those? They were (laughs) the best books. But because I was intrinsically motivated, I didn't require anything from the outside because I was doing it. Let this be a lesson. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. And and I want to add, think about... Before we start really getting into why kids, some kids aren't intrinsically motivated doing homework and things like that, think about your own lives. Are you intrinsically motivated to go to work? If you weren't getting paid, would you want to get up every day and go do it? (laughs) Maybe not. I'm just putting it out there. (laughs) Steph and I both believe all kids start out intrinsically motivated. Yes. They have a desire to please. They want to please the adults in their lives, which for little kids are their teachers and are their parents. There's a reason kids become extrinsically motivated. I often talk to parents about what happens to children who struggle in school once they go through puberty. To me, to my anecdotal observation of the students that I work with, once a child goes through puberty and school has been hard, they emotionally disconnect because it doesn't help their self-esteem at all to place their self-esteem and self-worth on their grades because these kids are trying hard but not yielding the results of their peers who it seems to them aren't working as hard as they are. So kids actually do make a transition as they go through puberty between being intrinsically motivated and then becoming extrinsically motivated, particularly if school is hard. For them. So when I get a kid in like I call the sweet zone of fourth and fifth grade, yes. I really have an opportunity to kind of keep them in a place of being intrinsically motivated. Whereas you get a seventh or an eighth grader and they've already emotionally disconnected. And that's a whole we have these conversations about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation between me and the client and me and the client and their parent, because we have to kind of bring them back in and we have to kind of win them over a little bit more. So if you have a child who hasn't hit puberty yet, but is struggling in school, we strongly recommend listening to our podcast, connecting with us, because we want to keep them in that place of continuously trying because that's what they want to do, not because they want to be motivated by an outside factor. Also, we know that this is a source of frustration for parents when they see that their kid has made the shift from being intrinsically motivated to not. This is a source of frustration that a lot of parents feel, but how do I get my kid to come back? And it's one that we struggle with also and we work with our clients on because if they're not motivated to do well, we're really at a standstill, right? We have to win them over and bring them back. Yeah, you can't do it for them. No, it has to come from within. Yeah. So the fifth aspect of executive function that we like to identify is managing stress. So Mm -hmm. managing stress, this is a big one. And there's all types of stress that we see in school. And for kids growing up, they do have a lot of stress, actually. And I don't think we all realize what the different levels of stress that they have fitting in with their peers and getting the grades, and doing what their parents want them to do, and all of those things all tie together. So, Rach, what would your example of managing stress be? So it really depends on what the kid is stressed about. But most of the time, I find that managing procrastination 
and helping support task initiation. Yes. Directly links to the level of stress. So I find that when students have a plan in place at the beginning of a major task and they chunk each step, please go back and listen to episode four for more information on this. That episode, we discuss how to create a study plan. And the other major component of managing stress is the calendar. You're going to hear us repeat it time and time again. And be sure to go back and listen to episode two on how to calendar. One of the ways that I personally manage stress is something that you've taught me, Steph which is I have a tendency to what I like to say GSD Um, for the purposes of this (laughs) podcast. I will say getting stuff done, but maybe I call it something else. Um, And I have a tendency to want to GSD everything immediately. And one of the things that you've taught me in terms of managing stress stuff is to create a would be nice list. Love the would be be nice list. Wouldn't it be nice if I had time to do this? And really, it helps me kind of sift through everything that I need to do throughout my day. So that's one of the strategies that I use is that would be nice list. It's it's a good one for sure. Mm -hmm. So the other thing is knowing what the stress is about for kids. And sometimes the kids can't vocalize what it is because they don't know. Mm -hmm. And they really do know what they dread. Creating a routine starting at the same time, doing all the subjects in the same order every day, knowing what you need to do and how you need to start and what order to go in is very, very informative for kids. And this becomes a goal that they can achieve because they know what is being expected and they can just follow that along and be successful. Helps also one of the major factors of stress is students are often worried about forgetting something. And it's probably because they forget a lot. And so they have this experience of being in the classroom and something is due and they didn't know. And that creates just an undercurrent of stress and anxiety constantly because they're constantly trying to figure out what they've potentially missed. Having the same order every day and starting at the same time gives them a framework to help remind them. And it's like getting up in the morning and knowing you need to brush your teeth and you know you need to put your clothes on and you probably put them on in the same order every day because you don't need to think about it. It's become routine. Mm -hmm. The sixth aspect of executive functioning that Steph and I have identified is self-knowledge. And we actually use a different term when Steph and I are chatting off air about our clients. We call it metacognition, which is a term that you probably have heard before. And basically what it means, it's your understanding of yourself at a higher level. In at therapy, we can also call this demystification. It's part of what we do with clients is we bring to the forefront the strengths of our students and the challenges of our students because we want them knowing when they're entering into a task, okay, the most difficult part of this task for me is going to be fill in the blank then they can create a strategy for it. All these things that we're talking about today, all the different elements of executive functioning, these are all ongoing conversations and we with our clients. And we want our clients being able to use this language with us because it, it gives voice to what they're struggling with. Absolutely. Steph, what would you add about metacognition? I would say it also goes back a little bit to relieving stress because... The more you know and understand about yourself, 
it really helps you feel like you're doing a good job in mm. in the parameters that you have. So if I know, for instance, I am – I'm just going to put it out there. I'm mm. not as good at writing as Rachel is, right? Mm. And we both know this. And <laughs> I know that going in. So it's something that I can – make sure to manage and figure out how to do things so that I can be successful and I don't set up myself for failure. I'll, I, I just want to give you some props. It's not that you're not a good writer. I think you <laughs> are a good writer. I think it just comes out of me a little bit faster. That's true. So the seventh aspect of executive function that we've identified is sustaining effort and processing. So what is that? It's how quickly your brain takes in information and makes sense of it. It's in the classroom when the teacher is lecturing, let's say, and you are trying to pay attention and you're taking in the information, deciding what you need to write for your notes and what you you can let go of because either one, you already know it, or two, it doesn't really have anything to do with what you need to know for the test or what you're learning. Yeah, I want to add to that example that I can imagine that some parents might be listening to it and thinking, look, it's entirely aspirational for my kid to be paying attention to what the teacher is saying and able to process that information in such a way as to take a note. That's actually a really complicated task. What we want parents at this level to understand and in this episode is that processing is not a smooth endeavor for all students. All these aspects of executive functioning do not always work fluidly. Now, students could have a strength in some areas and really struggle. We're sure you've heard the terms auditory processing or visual processing. These can be elements that severely impact a student's ability to be able to function, but this is only one aspect of how to be a successful student in the classroom setting. Taking kind of a more global approach, when a student really thrives in these seven areas, they tend to be a really good student. And I define good student as they turn in their work, they know when tests are, they are thriving. They're they're the student that you can be hands off with as a parent. It's not the population that we really deal with, but Steph and I, as ed therapists, specifically target one of these seven areas, at least, with our students and ideally get them to the point where they're able to identify these different components within each project, within each task and within themselves so that they're able to then go off and flourish. Because as you'll hear Steph and I say time and time again, the goal of educational therapy is to no longer need educational therapy and to go and take everything that we've kind of taught and go live your life and thrive. Our job is to work ourselves out of a job. So these elements, as you can imagine, impact all ability and all level of functioning. And it's important that our students are able to verbalize it for themselves. One more thing that Steph and I often talk about when it comes to executive functioning is what the student is seeing at home. So parents and teachers, being aware of how you're modeling all these different aspects of executive functioning, and if there is an area of weakness, acknowledging that because you're probably then going to pass on to your child what you're so good at. Oftentimes, if you have a parent who's really good about calendaring their calendar, you have a kid who's really good about it and open to it because it's what they're seeing in their home. I can't tell you how often I work with a client 
on supporting and strengthening their executive functioning skills. And the parent comes in to the session (laughs) and tells me about something that they're now doing different because it's more efficient for them as well. And it was an area of challenge for them to begin with. So having an awareness about what your own strengths are and your own areas of challenge are, either as a classroom teacher or as the parent, also kind of gives permission to your kid to let them know that struggling in certain areas is really normal. So now that you've heard what our definition of EF is, here are just three of many ways that you can help support your child. And remember, we're going to be talking about there's a lot more in our EF series, so this is just a good place to start. You can have them listen to the podcast. You can go back to episode two and get the freebie offering on how to calendar. And as always... If you have something specific going on with your child or in your lives, you can always book a strategy session with Rachel and I to discuss your particular need, and we'd be happy to help you. As always, you can go to our website and connect with us and go and join our Smarties of the Learn Smarter Podcast Facebook group by going to our website, www.learnsmarterpodcast.com. Have a great day. Bye, guys. Bye.